So I think I'm good. Y'all good? I think so. Sean, are you good now? Are you going to let us know when when things go haywire out there? If if you just disappear, will we know that (laughs) the Eagles won or lost? Yeah, I had to go riot, you know, (laughs) as is my duty. Sean, it'll be like a Worcester call. He'll be like, oh, no. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) Guess what they say about Eagles fans destroying the town. Not the electric whip. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, and I just want to remind you guys that even when the world comes in and tries to build a wall between us, don't dream it's over. Hey now. Hey now. Don't let them win. Nice. Well, I'm co-host Jeremy, and the record this week... And uh, the missing persons record we recently covered showed me that there is a gap in the market that I need to fill. Oh, yeah? What's that? For uh, replacing members in big famous bands with members from one-hit wonders that have disbanded. Not one-hit wonders, but other disbanded bands and kind of placing them, you know? Yeah. Do you so, want to ex- explain further? Or we'll get there. Oh, we'll get there. Okay. But <laughs> I'm going to start an agency called Missing Person. Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's clever. It is clever. You dug deep, Jeremy. Thank you. <laughs> well, I am co-host Peter Cook, and I don't know why sometimes I get frightened. Oh, wait, I do. Shark attack! <laughs> <laughs> you are so scared of shark attacks. Like, the amount of times I try to get you to come hang out, and you're like, no, it's it's shark season. I can't leave my house. <laughs> there could be a shark attack. He says that here in Michigan, too. It's weird. Yeah. That boy's really afraid of sharks. I don't know. It's a thing. It's reasonable. In a culture where Jaws happened shortly before I was born, it's reasonable, I tell you. <laughs> Well, we also have with us a special guest, Ben Lyon. Welcome, Ben. Hi. Good to be here. Glad to have you on. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, I uh, am an illustrator. I do a lot of stuff for a lot of bands, a lot of punk bands, and I've been playing shows for 20-some years and have been in a whole bunch of bunch of basement punk rock, garage rock bands, and... Uh, my current band is called Loser Candy. Loser Candy. Loser Candy. Well, yeah, that's probably the, I don't know, in the time that I've been aware of you, that's probably the fourth or fifth band. Yeah, there's been been a lot of them, some simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. that happens. <laughs> it's especially, I don't know if, it, if in Michigan in particular, if it's just how it happens everywhere, but it's hard to be in just one band for right. most people. <laughs> Most people actually play an instrument, though. I... <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that's uh, I guess that's you're, you've been a vocalist in everything you've yep. done, haven't you? Tambourine sometimes. Well, it's a fine instrument. <laughs> There's more to it than people realize. <laughs> that's true. Just ask that guy from the Brian Jonestown massacre. Oh yeah, <laughs> don't talk to him. <laughs> well, Joel, Joel, the, he was a good guy. The, oh, the tambourine, the, player. the one okay. tolerable member. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he seemed cool. I could hang with him, watch some movies. Well, what did uh, you bring to? Discuss with us this week. Uh, split ends, true colors. True colors, and it truly is a colorful album cover. We'll talk more about that as we get into it, but I think we should start by playing a selection. This came out in here in the United States on A&M in 1980. Is the fifth album from this New Zealand band, Split Ends. And where are we starting? Uh, Shark Attack. Shark attack. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I knew I smelled my fear. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Side A, track two. This was a new record for me. I was not familiar with this band, though reading about them, I'd heard Crowded House. So, But I found a similar feeling to whenever I hear an indie band that doesn't sound like The Shins, I leave, I'm wondering, like, what, what is this? Like, what's their attitude? What do they dress like? 
all these like what's going on here kind of feelings and I got that listening to this it's kind of new wave kind of pop kind of like rock and punkish there's just a lot going on but a lot of times when that happens I feel like there's like an identity that comes to mind and this I'm just left like wondering like what is this <laughs> well yeah especially once you hear the rest of the album it's like where does shark attack come from right <laughs> I, I it had been a long time since I had listened to this I it was one that I discovered when Sean and I were working at a record store together 10 years ago. In fact, I could, yeah, my, my copy is dated, it was priced in 2013, $5.99. And I knew the song I Got You, of course, and I knew another few Split End songs. And as Jeremy mentioned, I knew their connection to Crowded House, the Finn Brothers, all that. But I remember being pretty surprised by this record and yeah shark attack it had yeah. been a long time and uh you know when i was talking to ben about coming on to do this i was like oh that's an interesting choice and then i, I heard shark attack i was like that seems like the ben selection yeah. <laughs> yep and it is it's an interesting yeah like is it new wave is it glam rock is it punk <laughs> it's moves at a steady clip one yeah. could argue that New Wave was all of those things by itself anyways, so. Yeah, very true. But yeah, well, it, and I think it's, the, the confusion lies mostly in the rest of this album not quite sounding like Shark Attack. But then again, it kind of, one song to the next doesn't really sound. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of different, uh, flows through a lot of different styles. Yeah, genre hops. Yeah. Almost as if this band had like been through a lot already, which they had. <laughs> Turns out, I always thought this was their debut album, and no, it was their fifth. Yeah. So, Ben, how did you first find this record? So I saw it in a thrift store, and the, the first thing I saw was the cover. This is real reminds me of Joseph Albers, like a uh, you know, Bauhaus, mid-century and earlier art, minimalist art, and then uh, so I bought it, and then uh, Shark Attack. It was very punky and I like punk and non-punk places. And so, yeah. uh, I kind of <laughs> put that on a lot of mixtapes and stuff along with the, uh, village people, uh, food fight. Food and fight. Yeah. We've a lot of other that. stuff like that. Kind of similar songs too. I was thinking about that while we were listening to shark attack this time. Yeah. 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 Same vein, but yeah. And then, um, the record itself is, as a cool, uh, effect in it laser etched effect yeah the on the lp itself the it's interesting and i don't think i had ever at least from an album this early on 1980 i had never seen anything like this i read that that's the first the first record they ever tried it on yeah yeah they put these shapes and patterns onto the vinyl using a technique known as laser etching so when light hits the record those designs protrude and spin around the room. And I remember, yeah, when I pulled it out to listen to the store, I was like, what, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I guess that it was to discourage the creation of counterfeits. Right. That was the reasoning for it. Cause it would be really hard to replicate that. And which must've been bootlegs, I guess were a real problem right around that time. That's weird to think people would 
have a copy that was a bootleg and be like, well, this doesn't have the like, <laughs> like <laughs> that might make it really worth something too. Yeah. <laughs> the, the yeah, and the album cover, as you mentioned, it says ends the the spelling of their second part of their moniker yeah. ENZ. It says that in these cool like geometric shapes, and it came in many different colors. Mine is blue and red. Or blue and orange, I guess that w- that would be. And but I heard there's yellow and blue, red and green, purple and yellow. You said you yeah, have mine's a red, are red and green. You have red and green. Looks like Christmas. Yeah, a Christmas theme. I've got the purple and yellow. And then they gave it some makeovers later. There's like a lime green and pink, hot purple and burnt orange, gold and platinum. That's to mark its sales milestones when it went platinum. And there was uh, finally a yellow, blue, and red. I guess there was a black and white copy that was really rare because that's what they sent out to press. And it's it said the Noel Crombie, who designed it, the band member who designed it, said that there are 11 different versions. Cool. So if you, you want to get them all, collect them all. <laughs> <laughs> Got to have all the split ends. Yeah. Now, maybe you were going to talk about this later, and I'm spoiling it, but I had no idea that the spelling of their name was a pun on their country of origin. I just learned that today. Yeah, in doing my research, I learned that too, because originally they were split ends spelled properly, Mm E-N-D-S, and I want to say it was around the time they moved to Australia. Once again, we're getting ahead here, but they changed it as, yeah, like a, a way of national pride at enz yeah i just assumed it was quirky art rock kids doing quirky things you know they're they're zany enough that you would think that yeah (laughs) i didn't think there needed to be any more reason than that from this group (laughs) yeah i never questioned it it's like oh wow reason behind this very cool they're from new zealand you didn't say that no we said that they were new zealand band earlier oh damn (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but most people have forgotten, so thank you for reminding, Jeremy. They're, Spelled E-N-Z for New Zealand. Well, I was going to get into their history from the get-go here, because as I said, they had a much more complex and deep history than I realized. They were formed way back in 1972 by two friends at Auckland University, Tim Finn and Phil Judd. They started... As a mostly acoustic group, Tim Finn sang and played piano, and Phil Judd sang and played guitar. Both of them wrote, and they were augmented by a shifting lineup of musicians in their early years, including Tim's old school friend, Mike Chun on bass, and Phil Judd's friend, percussionist, Noel Crombie, who occasionally performed with them at this point. And yeah, they kind of developed into this art rock and progressive rock group. They released their first single in April 1973 and undertook their first short tour supporting British blues legend John Mayle. So it was good exposure right out the gate. Tim Finn dropped out of university to focus on the band around that time. And in late 1973, they entered a television talent contest called New Faces, where they recorded two new songs to mime along to on television. They lost to Wellington's Bulldogs All-Star Good Time Band. <laughs> Real legit sounding band. Not, not only did they lose, but didn't they take like second to last place in the entire competition? That's what it said. I, I was a little confused by that because it sounded like they made it pretty far along. So I, it was hard for me to get the exact details. But yeah, they were, it was, they were 
there's footage of that that you can find online. And, you know, they're like kind of this quirky, kinksy type band at the time, but they were really good. I think they, the judge, Phil Warren, deemed the ends, and it's worth noting, the fans call them the ends. And the, the judge of that contest, Phil Warren, deemed them too clever. So they, yeah. <laughs> Too what clever. a weird critique. It's a very like uh, Simon Cowell, pre-Simon Cowell type of criticism. Yeah, yeah it's, or it's like saying you're overqualified for this job. Yeah. So despite this loss, they made a strong enough impression to secure a 30-minute concert special. And EMI New Zealand released their second single at the end of 1973. Shortly thereafter, the band altered the spelling of their name to the punningly patriotic ends as we mentioned so i guess it was it was it was prior to their move to australia so the exposure from the tv special that they got enabled them to undergo their first national tour in february of 1974 keyboardist eddie rayner joined which allowed tim finn to step out from behind the keys become you know get right up front later that year the aforementioned noel crombie rejoined as a full-time member percussionist he also crombie became the group's stylist and created unusual costumes, makeup, hairstyles, and sets for their stage show. Uh, they were highly conceptual. I don't know if any of you guys got to check out some of their earlier live footage. I didn't see footage, but I read about like a woman crawling across stage with a with a prosthetic axe coming out of her face, and that sounded pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> definitely some happenings occurring at, at split ends shows. And uh, I think Noel Crombie also would play the spoons okay. <laughs> from time to time. Yeah, I read that that became like an essential part of their live show was his spoons performance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he was kind of their director of artwork across the board. He did the album artwork, promotional material, music videos. He directed them. So is the song Spoon Man about him? Did we nail that down? Spoon Man by Soundgarden? Yeah, it's about this band, right? Yeah, they're that influential that 90s grunge bands were. <laughs> Spoon Man! <laughs> the ends decided to avoid the traditional pub circuit and that they would only perform in theaters and concert halls. They developed a small but dedicated fan base across New Zealand, but chances of further success in that market were obviously limited. And in 1975, they moved to Australia to further their career. Now, it was at this time that Australia was undergoing their own pub rock movement. Of course, we talked about the UK pub rock movement on our recent Rock Pile episode, which was kind of a mid-70s back-to-the-basics form of rock and roll in response to all the excess of prog rock and, and glam rock. Yeah, the, the Australian pub rock movement maybe started for similar reasons, but, you know, unlike the UK movement that went more, more back to the traditional 50s sound, it almost seems like the Australian one was more blues-based and emphasized like the hard rock. I think one of the things you get out of that is ACDC. Right. So it was a little different, and it was very popular. And so the split ends, they puzzled many because they were not this at all. They were, were not <laughs> following the pub rock trend of Australia, but, and, and they would get booed at, at performances, but the quality of their material and their performances won them a small audience throughout Australia. After less than a year, they caught the attention of Melbourne based entrepreneur, Michael Gudinski. He had recently signed a band called the Skyhooks, who were 
early supporters in Australia of the ends. And he signed them to his new mushroom records label and split ends were soon touring nationally and gaining valuable exposure, playing prestigious support slots for several major international acts, including Roxy music, Lou Reed, Leo Sayer, and Frank Zappa. And they began putting out albums at a steady clip and constant touring proved to be too much for founding members, Phil Judd and Mike Chun, who left after a tour of the United States in 1977. I guess Phil and Tim, you know, the two founders of the band, they had a physical altercation that kind of led to Phil departing the band. So guitarist Phil Judd was replaced by Tim's younger brother, Neil Finn, and bassist Mike Chun was replaced with English bassist Nigel Griggs. By this point, they also had an English drummer named Malcolm Green. So that solidified the lineup on this album. Tim Finn on vocals. Neil Finn on guitar and vocals, Eddie Rayner on keyboards, Noel Crombie on percussion, Malcolm Green on drums, and Nigel Griggs on bass. In the absence of Phil Judd, Tim Finn begins to write the bulk of the band's material alone. His brother Neil begins increasingly contributing more material as well. So artistically, the band shifts at this point from art rock and prog rock to a more streamlined pop rock sound. They continued to struggle commercially throughout the rest of the 70s. And, you know, of course, the punk movement explodes. But then, in 1980, they got their big break when Neil Finn, you know, the new member, the younger brother of Tim, penned and sang the song, I Got You, which is what I want to feature next. So this is I Got You, side A, track one, the big hit.
it's hard to hear that song with any kind of real objectivity you know it, it's it's such a huge hit it's been uh out there for a long time but it just kind of blows my mind that the record label executives heard that and didn't think that there was a hit in that song or any other song on this album for that matter it's such an earworm it's such a great pop song and it seems just so perfectly fitting with this you know early new wave sound you can hear the cars in there and other hit makers from the field great song yeah yeah actually i think that was when that song hit it was thought like oh we might have the next cars here yeah, in split ends, which with that song, I could agree. I think with a lot of their other material, maybe not, but that one, yeah, it's it's right there. A great power pop classic. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you picked this one up, Ben, I can't remember if you did. You know that song already? I didn't. Okay. No, no. Yeah, the first song I knew on here was Shark Attack. It's it's interesting because in the overseas market shark attack was actually the opening yeah. song yeah i read that yeah and then they switched it <laughs> yeah i got you it was the second song and they they flipped them because yeah it was a huge hit it spent eight weeks at number one in australia and also hit number one in their native new zealand it placed in the top 20 of the british and canadian charts i was surprised to learn that it only reached number 53 on the u.s billboard hot 100 but i think it was one of those that i think kind of like with uh, the missing persons when we talked about like it didn't really chart high but it was a big mtv staple mm-hmm. it put the video which is a, it has a great video yeah for it as well i know i watched it just for the first time yesterday have you guys watched that at all yep yeah 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 very cool video i, th- I thought it was funny that he seemed to be constantly confused as to whether he should look scared or sexy or a little bit of both. It's just like, <laughs> if you watch his face in that, he's like constantly can't quite figure out how to make it look, but it's, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because as we you know said, Neil Finn was, you know, relatively new to this band at this point. This is for many people, the first time they're hearing split ends, they, they see Neil's face in the video. He was, you know, cute. He, like Tim Finn is kind of, intimidating looking (laughs) and neil finn is much more agreeable looking person and so i i think that actually you know despite they were happy to have the success but i think amongst the brothers it might have caused a little tension that suddenly he's like this pinup boy neil's this pinup boy Mm, yeah that makes sense (laughs) tim's the bad boy of the group (laughs) got some like proto boy band roles coming in here (laughs) well we'll get back to split ends and this very cool album shortly, but we do have to mention, we would be remiss if we did not mention that it is almost the end of our Patreon push throughout the month of February 2023. And as if you've been listening to our previous episodes, you know, you have till the end of February to sign up for our Patreon over at patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast where you'll get your normal monthly benefits for signing up but there are also some really cool perks that come with that that is true i just saw the designs today you've probably seen them now listener and they're great yes our designer illustrator and artist ellen vandermeide has put together some fantastic designs based around the morgana king new beginnings album that we covered a short while back I never thought I'd look so good in a flowing robe. (laughs) (laughs) We finally get to live out our fantasy of becoming the sad aging crooners that we've always admired on this podcast. (laughs) 
Very true, in a very spiritual kind of way, too. Yeah, just out <laughs> in the desert, trying to find God or something, I don't know. So, just in case you haven't heard already, we'll run down the tiers and the perks that you'll get for signing up in February 2023 over at patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast. So at the early access tier, which is our $1 a month tier, you pledge that you'll get early access to episodes. You'll receive them a few days in advance of everyone else getting our episodes and you will get a very cool sticker featuring a cactus from that same desert that us and Morgana King are in. (laughs) At the $5 tier, the bonus episodes tier, where we do episodes on 45s and have a fun little time. We call them premium content. (laughs) You'll find when you go over there, they are premium content. Once you hear a bonus episode, these regular episodes will never be the same to you. (laughs) (laughs) Get to know the real us, the real (laughs) co-hosts. Yeah. And that's our $5 tier. If you sign up in the month of February... You will get the aforementioned sticker plus a very rad button, a pin. In a surprising square shape. I didn't expect that, and I liked that. Yeah, square shape pin this time around. And you can, if you sign up for the $10 tier, you can put that on your very cool tote bag. That that pin can go right on your tote bag, because that's our exclusive monthly mix tier. And we each, we rotate each month. We put together a top notch high-quality playlist related to the artists that we feature that month. Oh, it's not a playlist. It's a mix, Peter. Oh, I'm sorry. We got rid of that wording. We were calling it playlist, and we said, no, it's a mix. You're right, Jeremy. Yeah, we're not just picking songs and putting them in order. We're blending things. We're building narratives. It's a beautiful thing. You're selling it. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. So, yeah, that's our our $10 tier, the exclusive monthly mix, and you'll get the uh, sticker the button, and the tote bag. The totes look awesome. They will have that full design of the New Beginnings mock-up with your beloved co-hosts in place of Morgana King. And at our $25 tier, our vinyl subscription, you will get all that content, plus we will mail you on a monthly basis a record, a 45, and a handwritten note. So as we said, you'll get all that previously mentioned content, the sticker, the button, and the tote for signing up in the month of February 2023, and your very own I'd Buy That for a Dollar coffee mug, season four, limited edition swag. Yeah, it's my favorite swag. And we have increased the amount of people who can sign up for that. So go over now to patreon.com slash I'd Buy That podcast. We are going to extend... The time frame ever so slightly. You could you have until Friday, March third to sign up to get these cool perks. True, but let's be real. You've heard this multiple times and you didn't sign up yet. So you should just go do it right now yeah. instead of waiting. Cause yeah. then you're gonna miss out on all the cool stuff. The link is in the show notes. We'll say it again. Patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast. Don't be a fool. Sign up today. Yeah, you're going to go on social media, you're going to see all your friends posting their selfies with their cool new mugs and totes and square pins, and you're going to think, that could have been me. If only I'd (laughs) listened and signed up. (laughs) All right, well, all that said, let us return to Split Ends, True Colors, 
it is worth mentioning it. We, we talked about a little bit the, they, I got you going back to the song. I got you. It was actually a different song that the band thought a, a different Neil Finn pen song missing person that the band thought would be the hit, which Jeremy alluded to in his title at the beginning of this episode. It was the missing hit. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to think you wouldn't hear. I got you and think it had hit written yeah. all over it. But yeah, Neil Finn increasingly begins contributing songs with this album and every subsequent album. It feels like there's more and more. The album was produced by a guy named David Tickle. And he had recently apprenticed under famed producer Mike Chapman, who was then known for his work with The Sweet and Susie Quattro. And Tickle had served as a mixer and engineer on big hits produced by Chapman, like Blondie's Heart of Glass and the Knack's My Sharona. Tickle took his experience and expertise and helped tighten and sharpen a lot of the rough edges of Split Ends. And it created their most focused album to date. And it didn't compromise their spontaneity and playfulness at the same time. That's still all over this record. I'm just surprised you said Tickle that many times without giggling at all. Now, I'm glad that that portion's over because I probably would now that you've planted that. (laughs) I found a quote from Tim Finn about this album that he said, With True Colors, we felt like we were being recognized purely for our ability to write good songs, and that gave us the confidence to present ourselves more simply. I mean, how can you communicate with an audience when you look like a parrot? (laughs) Which, going back to, yeah, they had some really ridiculous get-ups and stage theatrics prior to this. I think they became much more focused on the music, which the little bit that I checked out of their earlier work, it felt unfocused. I don't yeah. know if you guys checked out anything prior to this. No, Sean, did you? Um, I know I've listened a little bit before, but I don't own any of their previous records before this, so I'm, I'm not very familiar with it. Yeah, it it this it feels kind of similar in this in that it's all over the place, but it's not focused (laughs) like this still somehow keeps everything streamlined yeah you know this record has a lot of variety on it but you don't listen to it and think why is this song on here like it all fits in the context it's just you know it's not one sound that you're going to hear like some albums Mm -hmm. as i mentioned before neil begins writing more and more songs with each subsequent release and then on their ninth studio album see around in 1984 there are no tim songs because tim had left the band for a solo career. He actually had a big hit in Australia and New Zealand in 83 with a song called Fraction Too Much Friction, which I actually did. I recognize that one when I checked it out. You know, at this point, it was kind of decided just shortly thereafter. And I think Neil, you know, they put out this one album without Tim and and Neil was like, okay, well, I'm, you know, time for something else. I'm going to move on as well. But rather than going out with a whimper, they made the decision to undertake one final tour. They called it Ends with a Bang. And Neil Finn was on board and Tim Finn. He was talked into coming back and joining for that to, you know, properly bid farewell to their fans. They felt they deserved it. You know, they, these fans have been following them for about a decade at this point, And they felt it was a magnificent tour overall. And they've never reunited on a permanent basis. There have been some shows and tours, but they're always temporary arrangements. Of course, Neil Finn 
along with the, at that point, band's demise, their latest drummer, they went on to form the massively successful Crowded House. Of course, Don't Dream It's Over being the big hit that we all still remember. Not, not the only Crowded House hit, but th- that's the big one. Which I think, surprisingly, I have run into one or two people that don't know that song. I don't, I don't know how. I feel like that's in the air more than just about any I, song. I don't know that song. Don't dream it's over. <laughs> oh. All right, we're, we're, yeah, we'll, maybe we'll 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 have to do a listening session after yeah. we record here. So you so you weren't familiar with that connection? No, the crowded house. I didn't until we were going to do this. I didn't know that they had previous or subsequent albums. I, just I mean, knew, uh, I, I knew I got you in Shark Attack <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the laser etching. I have kind of a personal connection to the song Don't Dream It's Over. There was a tour I did with actually two previous guests of this show, Bob Bucko Jr. and Trevor Coleman. And Trevor just was obsessed with this song at that point and just was constantly making jokes and references to the lyrics like don't dream it's over or guys they're trying to build a wall between us was just seemingly mentioned like every hour the whole tour and it just kept getting funnier the whole time so i just have nothing but fond memories of that song had he just discovered the song at that point or who knows i mean i don't think trevor necessarily needs a reason for things like that he just really latched (laughs) onto it and it just seemed hilarious to all of us you know but that's that's tour humor right you take a bad joke and you just beat it into death and it just is funny to you guys and no one else (laughs) yeah yeah then you you show up at the venue you're making jokes about it to the crowd they have no idea (laughs) (laughs) who is this fucking touring band that's obsessed with crowded house for some reason <laughs> uh Neil and Tim Finn have released a couple albums as the Finn Brothers. Of course, they've released solo albums. In 2018, Neil Finn joined a revised lineup of Fleetwood Mac. And he, along with Mike Campbell from the Heartbreakers, kind of filled in the two of them filled in for Lindsay Buckingham. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. It, it it took two musicians to fill in for Lindsey Buckingham. Wow, yeah, and Mike Campbell, he's really good. Yeah, I watched a, a few clips of them. They, they, it was cool because Fleetwood Mac would let Neil sing both I Got You and Don't Dream It's Over, his two best-known songs. They would let him perform them for their massive crowds, and you know, people were into it. Like, oh, we know these songs. So it was, it was fun that Stevie Nicks was providing harmony on them. It sounded great. It's It's really weird kind of surreal to see Fleetwood Mac performing I Got You. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, let's get to another song. We'll do a Tim Finn joint. This is a popular one. It's called I Hope I Never. Side A, track six. Yeah. 
So yeah, it sounds like uh, something off the soundtrack to Phantom of the Paradise. The, the Brian, old De, Brian De Palma film. Yeah, yeah. Where he, he gets pressed into like the record press. He becomes like yeah. a, the Phantom of the Paradise. All by getting... sorts of stuff happens to him and it seems all kind of music related horrors. But yeah, he gets his face pressed into a, into a LP. Pressing plate. <laughs> And survives. What what is the label that it's on? Uh, Death Records. It, it, this is a very theatrical sounding band that you, they haven't shed that completely at this point. And yeah, it, it's it's a it's a great song. I, I think Sean, you were saying that it's one of the like the second most streamed song on this album. Yeah, it is on Spotify at least. So I I don't. This wasn't a single or anything, right? So I imagine it's just got to be a bit of a fan favorite. It was a single. It was a single? Oh, interesting. Yep. Yep. It was the second single from this album. Yeah, I do really like this song. I put this on my August mix on our Patreon last year. Uh, It's just got that little bit of surreal kind of David Lynch vibe to it. And the other thing that we noticed while listening to it just now, it kind of sounds like a Godly and Cream song, which would explain why I was kind of instantly drawn to it and Jeremy doesn't like it. It's true. It was my least favorite song on this album. Yeah, it's too close to that forbidden 10cc territory for Jeremy to ever be a fan. Yeah, it's. I'll I'll give it that it's very distinctive. (laughs) It's it popped out of the record. (laughs) They tried really hard. Listening. They tried very hard. (laughs) They put effort into it. You know. I should mention to our listeners that when Jeremy went to put that song on he started singing don't dream it's over and ben eyes lit up and went oh i i do know that song i just i just didn't know what it was called or who it was by (laughs) yeah yeah it's that's a hard one to miss but it's in the air (laughs) well sean i think it's about time that we turn to you and ask if you came up with a few recommended similar albums for our listeners if they like this one i did i came up with a a little handful of records and almost all of them are records that we've talked about before. We're developing quite a collection of early eighties, quirky new wave albums. Definitely is something that we all seem to enjoy. Most recent one. Yes. Now I I didn't tell you this, but there's a secret requirement. They all have to be laser etched and have (laughs) at least nine different versions of the album cover. (laughs) Okay. Uh, that one sticks record and that's, that's all I know. 
<laughs> yeah, that would. Is, that is would there be another popular record with the laser etching? I only know of this one and Styx's, uh, was it Paradise Theater, I think, has a, a yeah. very similar looking holographic etching in it. I think it went away really quick because they said it was confusing to consumers. Like the disco ball effect. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it created more confusion. Yeah. Than, I mean, I, I almost feel like it's in the used bins. It's more valuable because you go to check out like, whoa, cool. There's a, you, yeah. I can see on the record. There's this cool design. But yeah, I don't know of many. So uh, I will remove that requirement for you, Sean. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I don't know if I even like that sticks record. So that's good. First up record we featured recently that has a lot of Comparison sound-wise, the Corgis, Dumbwaiters, from 1980. Yeah. Actually, I hope I never... It kind of reminded me a bit of, of that record, the one, what we just listened to. It. If it had been a little dreamier, it might have been their uh, Everybody's Gotta Learn Sometime. Oh, yeah, definitely. Next up on the list, a record that I love dearly and is another one of those kind of uh, best-kept secrets of weirder than you would think but very easily available records the secret's out a little bit the value's going up it's not as easy to find as it was 10 years ago but paul mccartney mccartney 2 from 1980 his weird new wave synthesizer devo worship album have you heard that one ben i have not it has this bizarro track on it called temporary secretary that it's yeah it's like devo nice it's, it's secret punk you like secret. oh i love secret punk <laughs> secret punk and fake punk yeah <laughs> i had a friend just like a week ago bring that album up to me and be like have you heard this and i was like yeah 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 people are always just <laughs> dis- thinking they're discover- the first to discover that one yeah <laughs> He's just, he's my least favorite Beatle. I don't know. He's... I was that way for a long time. And then I. Until you heard McCartney too, right? And I, <laughs> I quickly shot to the top. Number one, Paul McCartney. Legitimately, like you showed that to me uh, around 10 years ago. And I, and I think I had never, I was, had never bothered with Paul McCartney solo stuff. I didn't, th- I thought it was all silly love songs, literally yeah. like the song, <laughs> silly love songs and, you know, let them in. Someone's knocking at the door, but no, there's. There's some good stuff in there. Agreed. Next up, another 1980 record, one that we've covered before, Cindy Lauper. She's so unusual. Mm-hmm. It was an early feature back in season one. A little quirky, a little poppy. And then can you guys think of any any other early 80s quirky new wave records that we've talked about before? I wrote down three of them, but there might even be more. I probably forgot a few. Well, the Village People Renaissance and yep, and, uh, another, and uh, um, Tony Basil, yes, that Eric Nervous talked about. Word of mouth, also from 1981. And I, I discovered those and Split Ends right around all around the same time. Yeah, perfect. They're all on on mixtapes together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are perfect examples of yeah, the punker than you think. <laughs> yeah, it, it's almost weird. I feel like sometimes when a a band that's totally outside of punk territory take their stab at it it's like how they do it so well a freestone bummer oh, bitch yeah oh yeah classic classic <laughs> like, yeah like they, they were like a hippie band yeah uh <laughs> helen keller surfing with steve and edia mean is a that's another a really good one yeah it's like studio musicians and it's bizarre it's really good yeah 
Of course, there's in uh, Star Trek for the Voyage Home. There's that yeah. punk song on the the bus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the the chips episode. Paint. I dig pain by pain. <laughs> yeah. Get them all. Put them all on a mixtape. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fake punk. Uh, a lot of them I have on a mixtape. <laughs> I believe we talked about fake punk at length on the Village People episode from season one as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. Me and Curtis are uh, kindred spirits when it comes to that. Yeah. Did you ever do any of the open decks with Sean? No, but I, um, I've DJed with Sean before a few different places. And then back in uh, when uh, Louise was having shows, I DJed there a fair yeah. amount. And I, I think I did a couple times at Craft Brow and here and there. Mm-hmm. I don't have a turntable or I don't have. DJ turntables, yeah, so the whole it's kind of hard, but I like uh, pushing music on people. It's, it's I enjoy that. Yeah, it was always fun to to have you come in and play on like a early morning record store day and just like blast <laughs> some obnoxious garage rock at people. Oh, yeah, <laughs> wake everybody oh, up yeah. a little bit. I always like to keep it in the red too. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the early morning wake up show with Ben Lyon. <laughs> Well, Sean, did you have any more recommended similar albums, or have we pretty much covered that? Well, I, can you guess the last one I had written down from season one, early 80s oh, New Wave record? But not the Human League. Oh, uh, yeah. Dare, 1981. Oh, Dare. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that, that's, those are the ones I could think of, of our early 80s New Wave features. Well, before we wrap it up here, uh, Ben, is there anything that you would like to plug for the people? Well, I have a new band, and it's called Loser Candy, and we have nothing coming up right now. We just played a, a whole rash of shows. Uh, we're working on writing some stuff, but uh, we're out there. We're on Instagram, and yeah, I do art, so if you need art, hit me up. Is it at the Ben Lion? It's at the Ben Lion on the Instagram. and I, I'm curious, just if, if you don't mind talking a little bit more, because, you know, I've uh, traditionally when I saw you doing a lot of flyers for shows in around the Kalamazoo area back in like the mid to late two thousands, it seemed like a lot of that was big daddy Roth inspired. Oh, I love big daddy Roth. I met him when I was a kid. Really? I, I grew up in hot rod culture and going to car shows and, and, uh, I, yeah, I met him at the Detroit Autorama when I was like 12 or 13 and waited in line for half an hour to talk to him. And then like, choked and couldn't think of anything smart to say i was just like rat fink's cool and like shook his hand he signed my he signed my uh rat fink shirt but uh yeah he was he was uh he was like nine feet tall <laughs> his hand was like a like a catcher's mitt <laughs> and he's wearing his top hat too and his boots he was just yeah a non-ironic nickname yeah like a i don't know monstrous abraham lincoln or something <laughs> I've definitely seen in some of the your more recent work. I feel like I've seen some other influences, like Andy Warhol. It seems oh, I, like. I've I love Andy Warhol and this. I like its sense of colors and mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, like I, I I pull from all sorts of stuff. I like old like '40s jazz album covers and mm-hmm. and uh, you know all sorts of things. Cut and paste and split I, ends. <laughs> split ends. I like the uh, yeah. Bauhaus minimalist stuff and mid-century modern looking stuff, which that kind of fits in with. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't surprise me when we were talking about this, that the, the album cover is one of the things that's what jumped out at me. And you know, you could hang those, you could get the multicolored ones and hang them on the wall and 
make a little art piece out of it. Like it looks good. And it's a pretty commonly found album. Yeah. Like, like, and so, yeah, I'm almost like now that I know there's that many, I knew there were at least a few different versions. I had no idea it was that many, (laughs) but you might have to order from overseas. You know, they were, (laughs) they were in every country doing different stuff. So, yeah. Well, very cool. I'm, I'm, Glad. Thank you for taking some time to yeah, come sure. and talk this Thanks album for having me. with us. It, it's, it was really cool learning more about the, just everything that went into this band. Yeah. I really feel like it's, you know, I thought this was sort of the one-off for yeah. them, and there's a whole lot more. Uh, do we have any other final thoughts? My final thought is listen to more bands from New Zealand. They have a fascinating and rich musical history, especially... The queen. Yeah, especially in the alternative music world yeah of course this is just before flying nun yeah the the clean tall dwarfs and all the the bats all those bands sort of create like the college rock (laughs) indie rock (laughs) they're i feel like a few years ahead of of everyone else almost and yeah that that stuff is phenomenal too that and that i wish that stuff we could never talk about in depth on this show that stuff's all very expensive to my knowledge, all that flying nun adjacent material, but yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Indie pop. If you like that, you, you, it's like when I first heard tall dwarfs, I was like, so this is like neutral milk hotel 15 years before yeah. neutral milk hotel. So awesome. Well, we were going to leave on another Tim Finn penned number poor boy. And you know, it was it was hard to choose. This this album is diverse and, and different enough that most of the songs have their merits. But yeah, this one's a little more melancholy, uh, but upbeat, more upbeat than the the last selection we listened. Reminds to. me of the Police. Yeah, like a lot <laughs> for sure. That's a, that's a good comparison, actually. I mean, I saw it written multiple times that this band is considered one of the forefathers of new wave in general. So it's almost like every song in this album, like created a sound for a different band yeah it's sold enough that it could have been that influential yeah well perfect thought to leave on once again get over to patreon.com slash i'd buy that podcast sign up in the month of february 2023 you have until march 3rd though because february's almost gone (laughs) true go do it right now i'm co-host jeremy thanks for listening and i'm co-host peter I'm co-host Sean. And I'm Ben Lyon.